This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Do you dream of writing a novel, or do you just like listening to authors talk? I'm Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading, Stories Behind the Story podcast. This new podcast springs from many requests we've had from listeners to do more episodes on how to write. We've produced a six-part series where we discuss the craft of writing with some of Australia's top authors and industry professionals. Welcome to Better Reading on Writing. I came to writing through very indirect means, really. It wasn't really the first thing I wanted to do as a kid. Um, If I were to list the things I wanted to do first, you might be a little bit um, embarrassed by my presence here. Uh, I wanted to be a a scientist. (laughs) No, no, I like science, actually. I wanted wanted to be a a pirate, a bandit, that is. Oh, yeah, maybe not. I wanted to to be a a composer. There were no instruments in the house, apart from a cranky old guitar. And um, I wanted to paint. Um, Okay, so... Uh, take the pirate aside, no, music. No, you have to put the pirate right in the centre. <laughs> we have to put the pirate in the centre. But I think music, art and books fall into the same category, don't they? But so does banditry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know enough about it. <laughs> no, by that I just simply mean um, the, the impulse to create is also slightly connected to a, uh, to a, a very mild um, and benign um, uh, outlaw element because um, mm. impulse to create is an impulse to not deviate from the world but to uh, nudge nudge the world towards something new um, uh, a, a sense of adventure about reality a sense of possibility about reality That was the freedom artist, author Ben Ockrey, talking to me about his impulse to create. Is the desire to create something that all writers share? Is writing a calling something you're born to do? What does it mean to be a writer? Today we're launching our new series with those questions and more. And to help us answer them is someone who absolutely needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway, Trent Dalton, author of the phenomenally successful novel Boy Swallows Universe. Welcome. Cheryl, what an honour to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to bits, actually. Um, And I'm really, really excited for our listeners, too, to be able to hear, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, You've been a writer for a very long time, but you've only been a writer of fiction for a very short time. So true. So true. Okay. So the conversation is uh, the desire to create. What is it? What is that? Can you explain that? Oh, it's a beat. It's a, it's something in my soul. It's something that makes my legs move. It's something that makes my brain tick over. 
Um, it's something that keeps me distracted when my wife in the kitchen, we're making spaghetti bolognese and she's telling me about her day job and I should be listening to every word that beautiful woman says, but I'm not because I'm in my head um, thinking of the next sentence I'm going to create the next morning for mm. a story I'm writing. And it's, it's all consuming, isn't it? It's completely all consuming. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm in the back of my head right now, as I even talk to you, Cheryl, I'm thinking about a journey about two girls across Australia that I'm writing as we speak. Mm. And they are constantly with me. They mm. are in my heart and they are in my head, these characters. And Eli Bell, um, August Bell, you know, these are very real kind of people in my head that I think about and I wonder how they're going. It's that level of intensity about um, that need to go to those places, those storytelling places. So um, it's absolutely, you know, I mean, for me, it's the most important thing we ever did. Jack and Jill went up the hill. Uh, what happens next? We're mm. the only creatures so far that we know of in the universe that can tell you what happens next. Tell me. Thing. Yeah, it, it is. It's really remarkable. And storytelling is so part of our everyday life. But it's people like you who formalise it. So you've been writing for a long time. So let's call journalism short short format for, for the purpose of oh, this. Yeah. And I know you yeah. write longer format. Yeah. But talk to me about... Growing up, did you know you were going to be a writer? Did you know that that was what was in you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, this is so ridiculous. Once, once, once upon a time, by a waterfall, I told my wife, I was about 20, I said, I think I'm, this sounds so ridiculous to talk to and tell you this now. I said, I think I'm special. Like, and I said it in the sense of, I just think I'm in, I'm tapped into something that I can't explain is what I meant by that. And she never mm. ceases to let me live that comment down. And she's always like, I'm at the doing the dishes. And she goes, I know you're special, but can you please just, you know, unload the dishwasher. But what I was getting at was there are things that I keep seeing that are deeper than the life that apparently everybody else sees. And so as, I don't know, I just felt this need, even as a kid to express that. And, um, but Cheryl, the difference between me, I don't, I don't, feel like I was born with gifts I was a person who was made like things happened you know things happened to me like you know my my brothers and I you know my mum fell in love with a bloody drug dealer and and my brothers and I crept into his room and we opened up a cupboard and we we found a secret door a secret passage to a secret room in which there was a red telephone and it was you know I became a writer then you know what I mean and then and then the man I love you know, he went to prison for 10 years. I became another, a writer again in that time. You know, but like, like me, I've seen a lot in my life as well. And like your brothers, they've seen a lot in, you know, they were seeing what you were seeing. But yeah. what made you the writer? Oh, great, great question. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, yeah, my older brothers were the ones, were the warriors who were kind of, yeah, I look at it in that kind of, you know, that ancient Greek history kind of way. You know, mm -hmm. there were always the people documenting and then the, the warriors on the battlefield. And mm -hmm. that was my older brothers. And I was always just the reporter, you know, and that was the weirdest thing. And I don't know whether that's because I'm the youngest of four boys and that was my role. It was almost like, Trent, you will be the storyteller. Remember this, kid. So take every last detail of these things that are happening because maybe one day they'll be important. And so this is where I'm at right now talking to you, Cheryl. This is where it gets all weird about what's happened with this book that I've done. Like I'm starting to really think, like I'm serious here, that I think 
all that I was meant to do was write Boyce Waller's universe. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm genuinely wondering if maybe that's what I was here to do. And maybe, maybe all of those things, this is how weird it's getting. It's like, I'm starting to go, you know, maybe those things were just a lead up and that's why they were the gifts, you know, those, those as horrific as some of that stuff was, maybe that was the gifts that were given to me because I was just put on this earth to write that 470 page book because people come up to me and tell me what it means to them and, mm. and that it meant something something to someone who had bone cancer, you know, in Perth lying on a hospital bed who's writing me a handwritten letter saying this means something to me and mm. someone comes up and says that book you wrote is is my mum, that's my father, that's my uncle and, you know, all these really deep things. And Because you write from the heart. Oh, well, that's... That's what I have to do. I started to realise too. I've just only discovered these but things. But I think a year even on. your your journalism, everything oh, yeah. you do, you put yourself into. Ah, oh. don't you think? I mean, ah, oh, you I, write what you know, really. Oh, in the truest sense of that, absolutely. Mm. Like write what you feel. You know, right, that, what like you, feel. you know, like it's like I feel this. So can I write it in a way that makes the reader feel it as well? Like literally. In my journalism, this is going to sound a bit wanky, but sometimes I cry. Like I cry on the freaking keyboard and that's when I know, stop, your work here is done. You know, because if I'm moving myself and I've heard that story, you know, I've, I've, I went to the living room, that person told me their story for four hours. I transcribed it for another 24 hours. That's how long it took to hear that again and transcribe it all. And then I've written it for two days. And now I'm crying still from that same story that I've that I've consumed almost three times. Mm. That's powerful, and that you know that's just feeling and, and heart and soul. And I mean, yeah, if there's one thing I sort of say about writing, it's just heart and soul, man. Just that's I just it. want to ask you the transition from journalism to writing fiction because you didn't start doing that; you were prodded, weren't you? I was. I was. I was. It's it's funny. It's like I needed I needed permission. Isn't that weird? Like, mm. why did I need permission? I needed this beautiful woman, Catherine Milne, to fly up to Brisbane and go, hey, I've read something. I've read a couple of your sentences. You know, literally like that, mm. that f- fine. Like it was, it was that um, specific that she was. She picked out a paragraph in a, in a Weekend Australian magazine story I wrote. And she said, from this, I think you have more to offer. You know, isn't that amazing? And I was sort of, I needed someone like her who works with these amazing people to say, you could be one of them as well. You know. And did you have any anxiety about writing a book? I mean, what, you just, she left and you thought, what? What the, I mean, where do I go from here? Yeah, I mean, I have anxiety about um, putting my left shoe on before my right shoe. You know, it's like I have anxiety about coming here today and talking to you. Mm. I have anxiety. So over, do I. <laughs> I mean, oh, mate, it's like, a, it's like a legacy of the things I wrote about in Boyce Wells Universe. It's this sense that you're not quite worthy of anything you're doing. So imagine the, the sense that you feel of giving a 470-page book that is largely autobiographical. So, you know, who wants to read it? You know, that was my thing. It was like, but I just swept us all that aside for the, initially to just get to that last, that the first goal being full stop on page 470. So if I can get to that with no distraction, I mean, just do not ever let the genie out of the bottle. Don't tell anyone aside from Catherine Milne what you're doing. Maybe tell your wife because you have to explain to her where you're going between eight and ten at night. But just keep that in the in genie in the bottle. Keep the magic in the bottle, and then just get through that. And if you get through that, deal with the anxiety later. And I felt ill, Cheryl. I felt sick 
you know, like physically. And, and I was doing press and like book tours and stuff in Sydney when that book came out. And weird things were happening to me. I swear to God, I was having like I got this pneumonia, and I got like, and I and I I wasn't sleeping, and I just think these were physical manifestations of the strange places my brain was at with that book because I was terrified of that story going out into the wider world. But you know what? I'm such an idiot because I underestimated novel readers. You know, you do that at your peril because. I thought people were going to judge and I thought readers were going to have a shot at the people I love. I'm talking to my mum. I'm talking about this man I love, this guy who's basically Lyle in my book. I'm talking about my bros, these people who are the most – my old man, my old man is so in that book. And I thought people were going to stand up at book events and go, how can you love these people? And you know what? I'm such a goose because novel readers – have learned not to be that judgmental and they've learned not to be, give knee-jerk reactions because they read novels, because these amazing writers have taught them not to do that. Geraldine Brooks taught them not to do that. Hemingway taught them not to do that. You know what I mean? It's mm. like these people that you, if you read, they you're so far empathy. past. That's the word. Stop. You're giving me chills. Empathy is the word. Empathy you know, word. I, I'm just going to bloody write that book, uh, that word in you know capital letters and stick it above my writing desk. That's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. The career path of a writer and when you start calling yourself a writer. Mm. I think that writers struggle with that. You know, is it when you first publish your work? Is it when you, I mean, yeah, yeah. You never believe. It? You never believe you really are one. So when you're travelling and you've got to fill that occupation card out at the airport, what do you write? I do now, put yeah. writer. Yes. Uh, when I was at the film and television school, I could lie, or oh, not lie, I wasn't lying, but yeah. I put teacher. Um, yes. Uh, but uh, now I put, I just put writer because that's what I am for heaven's sakes. <laughs> but it does take a while for that to come out, oh, yeah, doesn't yes, it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. You think you're a fraud yeah. um, for a very long time. And we used to, uh, do you, how much money do you have to earn a year to call yourself one? You know, uh, $1, $1,000 or something like that. What do you think the turning point is? What would you say? When is it that you become a writer? Oh, look, I was a writer much earlier than I thought I was one because that's what I did all the time. I oh. didn't do other things. So, no. you know, for heaven's sakes, even though you mightn't have been earning a lot of money, you were still earning money. But what else did you do? Yeah. You know, the housework? All right, we've just listened to a quote from J.R. Lonnie uh, Trent and he's the author of um, this fabulous fiction book called The Woman from St. Germain. Um, he told me how it was years before he had the confidence to call himself a writer, despite having an extensive career as one. Now, it is a difficult career to choose, and I'm just going to read an, this quote from Ernest Hemingway, which I'm sure you know. There's nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and open a vein. <laughs> Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. And, and, you know, of course that guy, that genius could encapsulate it in a sentence. Um, that's what I did, Cheryl. I swear to God. You literally not, did oh, that. I did it. I mean, yeah. it was – I I made a pro pact with myself. I, I My journalism day job was going into the living rooms of wonderful Australians and I would ask them, do you mind telling me every deep, dark secret you have in your soul, right? And they would, you know, they would tell me their – secrets over four hour conversations and I've made a pact with myself that if I was going to tell my story I would honor each and every last one of those people who did that who honored me with their story I will give them back 150% of myself I will freaking open up that vein and 
And I really did that. I would go down to my rumpus room between 8 and 10 at night. And you know what I'd do? I'd actually think about how darn lucky I am. And mm. it's genuine fact. I mean, I am so lucky. And I would think about alternatives. And I've got two daughters, 12 and 10. And I would think about the road in which they're not in my world. And I know that sounds really sort of, um, you know, it sounds like a perilous thing to do, but it was it was so empowering because it would make me, th- it would just fill me with just all this heart and emotion. It was electricity, I swear to God. You start thinking about that. You go as deep to your core as you get, which is often, you know, kids are pretty good at getting to that place. And I would think of that and, and then I would sit down and, and, and electricity would run through my head, my heart, and then it would come out my fingertips, I swear to God, and then it was just right. And that, that, you know, that book feels like that. It doesn't read like Hemingway. It, it, it is just a... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Full on, um, no restraint, you know, no holds barred kind of sulk off and and you know it was opening the vein and it's so important and and i can smell it when a writer has done that and Mm. i love it and i'm just so grateful because Mm. i'm just with them every step of the way i'm just like mate if you want to go there i'm with you i'm with you so the date of publication yeah yeah i mean this is um, and and as we heard in that quote at what point did you think you've gone from a journalist to a novelist Oh, that's a great question. When did you question. reach that? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, I I didn't think I – rem, I remember I remember sitting in the bed of reading offices just going, this is all wonderful, but look, you know, I don't think anyone's really going to read this book. And, uh, you know, and I'd, I'd sit it – I'd see these hard copies come out. You know, all I wanted to do, Cheryl, I wanted to see one physical copy – that I could drive over to a place called Redcliffe on the north side of Brisbane and I would knock on my mum's door and I'd go, hey, mum, here it is. This is my tribute to you. This is this is in 470 pages me saying this is why I love you, mum, you know, because you survived. You're the greatest survivor I've ever met. That's all I wanted, right? That's all I wanted. And I wasn't a writer then. I didn't call myself a writer. I was still journo, you know, and you always – journos are inherently um, – doubtful of their own um abilities like inherently i don't know whether it's the newsroom that makes you feel that way i don't know whether it's editors that make you feel it it's all the all the permanent contest you know what i mean like you're always battling as a journal you're just always trying to better yourself and so you know you're always uh doubting this kind of internal thing of saying am i a writer do i belong here you know and um yeah and you know what like 
I think it was only, oh, I've got to say, it was only maybe, I, you know, I'm, I'm loath to even mention it, but it took so much. I mean, there, there, there were heads of fiction. I'm talking great writers. Or, I mean, I'm talking the most amazing people emailing and saying, that book is worthy, mate. Mm-hmm. Like, get it, it across worthy. your silly head. But it took so long. Mm-hmm. And well, I swear to God, I had to, I had to hug Richard Flanagan on stage mm-hmm. at the Arbia Awards to believe. I swear to God. Mm-hmm. And I think I only just believe now that it's just might be worthy as a contribution to Australian literature. Like, I, I think only now, like literally now, maybe sitting here right with you right now, Cheryl, like that is how much I've analysed it and gone – Okay, I'm I'm okay with this now, and maybe I, I think it's an Australian. It's going to be an Australian classic, but I want to know. So, if you're, you know, how when you're at the, um, you're flying into Australia or out of Australia, whatever, and you have to write your <laughs> occupation. What are you writing these days? <laughs> oh man, it's so funny you say that. Like, I mean, I'm talking on the bottom of my. You know how you have your email like sign off thing. For so long, I got ragged by my fellow journos because. I put writer. I put writer on the bottom of that. Right. It says uh, Trent Dalton, writer, The Weekend Australian Magazine. And the reason I put that is because I doubt myself as a journo. Right. I because I, I sit near people like Headley Thomas, you know, teacher's pet. I sit near people like crime journos who are just nuggety, just you know, just really gritty, just you know, dirt under the fingernails type journos. And I'm like, well, I'm not really that. I'm, I'm sort of this nuanced kind of I'll talk to someone for six hours and we will bleed together and I'll craft that into a 4,000-word piece that has peaks and troughs and has natural storytelling craft and all sorts of interesting – like it's like a literary nonfiction journalist kind of hybrid thing that I think I've been doing for 20 years. So I could never call myself a journo, right? So, but now, now, but then I've always been kind of, everyone goes, and they'd call me like, I, li- I live in the sheltered workshop. They'd call me like, oh, the writer, oh, the writer. <laughs> like these bureau chiefs, they go, they get an email from me. They go, oh, the writer's got his copy. I can in. imagine that. You know, you know, yeah. And it's like, and it's cool because it always keeps the, keeps your head, you, you know, head the right size. And it's really important. But now it's like, what am I, you know? I've got a, like some like a bunch of stuff. Like there's like things. I've got this physical thing that went places, right? Well, and can I just say that what you've sold over a hundred thousand copies. You've <laughs> yeah. sold rights to just about every region in the world. You've won the uh, what have you won the Pre- New South Wales Premiers Award. You've run the um, oh. stop, stop. Yeah, no, no, no. RBA That's National, sweet. you know, Book of the Year Award. You've sold TV yeah. rights. Yeah. You've sold theatre rights. Yeah, that was me. Right? I did that, right? That yeah. was me. Yeah. That was that was all me. Yeah, that was all. You yeah. So I could I say you can comfortably use the word author, writer, or whatever it is you want. Why is to that? Do. Why is that? But it's my past, Cheryl. It's it no. Is. It's everything in my book is the reason why. It's like you read my book, you will understand why I still feel the rugs gonna be pulled out from underneath me, and I'm gonna wake up in my kitchen. And I'll go, nah. You were no, just dreaming it, kid. It was kid. all a dream. It was all a dream. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you're hearing my dreams. Okay. <laughs> oh man, what sweet dreams they are. The hours that I found worked best for me for writing the novel was 5am till 7am. Yeah, wow. Yeah, which is I'm not naturally a morning person, so that was that took some work. Um, wow. So I would, I'd get up and write, work on the novel for two hours every morning. And I knew... By hook or by crook? By crook, by, by crook that's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Wow. That was Felicity McLean talking about how she woke at sunrise to write The Van Apfel Girls Are Gone. 
I often hear people tell me that they would like to write a book, but they don't have time. But authors don't have extra time. You didn't have extra time. You had a family. You had two, you have two young children, and you had a full time job. Ah, oh, I mean, I I tell you one thing about I, I forget the storytelling involved. Just the one thing I'm proud of is that I dug in on, on that. It was a really tough period, and I would say to my wife, "Look, Fee, I think this could be something." all the time but you are you're also devoting it's such a self-indulgent thing to do to write a novel it's so but also disciplined as well you've got to be so disciplined that's the thing and i'm you know you look at me i'm a bag of junk you know like it's like but when it came time i swear to god cheryl between that eight and ten i was so disciplined and i'm like aside from everything in the rumpus room just surrounded by Dora the Explorer and, and you know, Harry Potter paraphernalia. See, this is what I like about that is that people think they need a writer's room or a oh. writer's den or whatever. You just did it. Mate, you've got, you've got two hours, you've got eight till ten, and if you don't, mate, you, you don't write 1,500 words in that eight till ten, you're wasting your time. You know what I mean? And I would write until I fell asleep. Like, like I, would, I would write until, oh, it's, you know, I honestly would have, I think, I realise it now, I know my physical capabilities. I can't write anything worth anything after 10 p.m. And um, my best hours, look, I mean, my best hours journalistically are always coffee in the hand, 9 a.m. to about 2. And, and I do that in journalism a lot. I'll, I'll do a lot of my interviewing from like 2 to 5 p.m. But uh, writing, you just want that fresh, snappy, I'm total Murakami on that kind of... Um, I need to jog. I love jogging and just getting the brain. I'll do a lot of great thinking jogging, you know, like 10K run and just come up with your crack story. You'll crack your narrative in those moments. And that, that's been really helpful. But, but the writing of Boy Swallows Universe, was there was such urgency to it because of that window. That's all I had. Put the kids to bed. You know, and it, that window, um, it, it, it closes as you, the older your kids get too because they stay up longer, right? So the, And you're nagging them to get to bed and suddenly it, what used to take 20 minutes, half an hour, 40 minutes, hour. And so I don't even know whether I'd even have that window two years on right now. And uh, so that time I would have in that rumpus room was sacred and I would just smash it. And, I would, and you know what? I, w- I wasn't too critical on myself, which is why the book also <laughs> reads like it. It's ambitious and it takes people, you know, it asks a lot of the reader because you're stepping into my head at 9.45 on a Wednesday night where I've Mm. put the kids to bed, we've had spag bowl for dinner, maybe I've had a red and I'm just letting rip. I've put the shoes on, the Dunlop volleys of this boy called Eli Bell that I created and I said, mate, you're braver than me, you're stronger than me, you're tougher than me. Can you walk through this head of mine? Because in the dusty, dark, corridors right at the back there's some stuff I need to open up and it wasn't me who did that Cheryl it was Eli Bell you know and it was amazing I'd, I'd go back up to bed at like 10 30 and I'd and Fee would go my wife she'd go how was it you know did you did you go all right and were I'd they go, good to you exactly oh mm. stop <laughs> were they good to you that's a beautiful yeah yeah it's almost like that it's like mm. were you okay with what you found tonight mm. and are you going to sleep tonight because mm. Sometimes you're going to a place in your memory of, you know, I don't know, your mum going through the hardest night of her life, you know, and like that mm. stuff's real. And, and it's hard. It's like I'm, I'm th- I was 38, I'm 40 now, I was 38, and I might not have thought about those things for 30 years, mm. you know. And so 
I'm so grateful to that boy, Eli Bell, for taking me back there, Cheryl. Do you know, like I think, I think too, it's it's in the time of your life. Like, could you have written this book ten years ago? No way. No, no way. I mean, it, no way. It's so funny. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it. I I I went and had two kids. I took my time. I spent twenty years knocking on the doors and gently walking into the living rooms. I'm telling you of maybe a thousand Australians that I told their stories and I had to do that and then I had to sort out my own head. So it wasn't too I wasn't ang- I wasn't too angry, I wasn't too fearful, I wasn't I wasn't too loving. It was just I was just in the right space at 38 years old and at 40 maybe I'd even be different now you know what I mean it, oh, it was I just think like I, I, I was think in the exact right spot I, without bizarre. a doubt your next book will be different oh, that's just it, the way it is it totally is and yeah. it already is I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sort of halfway through it and it's oh, like yeah. yeah man it's like and, and it is so different but is so soulful and and vain opening and kind of but in so many different ways but it was just like and I feel ready to do that now, the timing of that is is right because I couldn't have done that without writing Boy Swallows. Because, I, I mean, fact remains, like I had to, I you know, I did not necessarily want to go for Boy Swallows Universe first, but I needed to get that out, you know, just get that out so I can just live and just sort of do all this other stuff. So tell me, is it still in the rumpus room two hours a night? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the only, there's, a, <laughs> there's my old man's old stonefish, you know, jar of formaldehyde up to my right and there's this crazy mood wall I've put together of just that is a visual whole narrative of this book I'm writing and and all the kids toys are just around me and yeah everything's just as it should be you know do you think one day you'll get yourself a writer's studio would you be (laughs) entitled to one do you think (laughs) that's the thing that's what I keep talking to my wife I keep talking about like I go I wonder what Stephen King does yeah I wonder what Cormac McCart I wonder how he does it and it's just like you know I wonder if they've just you know I know for a fact though I think Stephen King you know you read some of his great stuff on writing and he talks about that like those early days you know he's raising a kid and he's just punching out the words you know it's just it's workmanlike you know and and i love that because everyone starts at those places absolutely okay so what do you think the three uh the three things that you've done that help have helped you carve out a successful career oh wow a successful writing career yeah yeah okay number one i mean this is life this is life this is anything but writing in particular enthusiasm i'm you, you be the, the most enthusiastic person in the room. Mm. It will take you so far. I, I think people, you know, it's important to get your uni stuff, important to read a lot of books, important to, you know, but, mate, if you're enthusiastic about the very street that is in front of your house, if you're enthusiastic about that stranger who's walking into your life that you don't know anything about, if you're enthusiastic about that meeting, that will take you so far. If you're enthusiastic about the first job you have, you'll be the one who's recognised over the person who has three PhDs. So like yeah. that in the in the newsroom, for one thing, like editors, um, you know, bureau chiefs, they go for the kid who's most enthusiastic. Mm, and, and most passionate, I think. Passion. Passion. That's yeah, all it's that the is, same thing. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Passion. Um, absolutely. Two. Um, two. Uh, for me, writing-wise, uh, the heart writes the book. And the head edits it. Don't get your head involved Love until that. you've hit the full stop on four, page 470. Don't even get that stupid head involved because that's the thing that will question and mm. doubt. Let the heart write it. Just let it write. Just let it and get it down, mate. And just like put it put it out. Just get it out of you and get it onto the page and have something to work with, you know. Mm. Then let that, that doubting sort of, you know, that questioning 
head, that brain, you know, that that stick in the mud brain of yours. Let that let that do its thing later. But let that beautiful flowering, blooming thing called your heart. Let that thing take over because that's the fun bit. That's mm. the fun bit. Yeah. Yep. And three, three, um, realize that story is everywhere. Story is everywhere, and story is the most important thing you have in your life. So realize that all these amazing restaurants in the city that you live in, they were built so you could sit down and tell more story. All that amazing furniture, all that expensive furniture you buy, it was only built so you could sit down and tell more story. Um, You know, the best moment of your day is the moment where you sit down with your kid and she tells you a story, Um, you know, and, and take such inspiration from that. And don't be afraid to put your story in, into a story, you know, and I, you know, I did it and I was so, I don't know, I was so foolishly afraid of doing that. And I kind of just, I spent so long, Cheryl, writing things for other people. I, I, I wrote a lot of screenplays. I wrote a lot of things that other people went, here's an idea, Trent, go and, go and work your butt off for nothing doing this for a couple of years. And the weird thing is, is when I wrote something that was, my story, my thing to say about my little blip on the radar of life, that's the thing that people responded to. You know, that was a massive lesson in that for me, like a massive lesson. It was just like you spoke something, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to tell something that is true to me, you know, and, uh, yeah, so, so speak your truth even if it is in literary fiction. What's your truth? Trent Dalton, always an absolute pleasure. You are really um, – you have – I mean, for me, I'm so lucky because I get to hear your story every time I see you, and I enjoy that so much. I really, really do. I'm getting a little bit teary here. Careful. <laughs> Careful. I'm a highly emotional man, so I don't, don't is, get me started. But it is true. I mean, I have the best job in the world because I get to hear your story. Well, I just honestly, Cheryl, what you're doing here with Better Reading, you guys, you know, made a kid's dream come true, honestly, early, early, really early with Boy Swellers Universe. So thank you so much to you and the whole community, Better Reading. It just incredible thank you thank you if you enjoyed this episode of better reading on writing please leave an itunes review also visit our site betterreading.com for podcast notes and join the better reading community on facebook for more books author chats and great community discussions Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer summer ready skin is here. Osea's number one best selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. 
This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.